Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in youth ministry for over 17 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we're ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. Now, we got a special episode for you today. Um, one of the reasons why it's special, one of the many reasons, is uh, the intro music by our friend Alob. Um, if you just go on to Spotify and search Alob, A-L-O-B, uh, you can go ahead and find his new album, No Match for Love. But it's also special because we have our first ever guest. After we listened, after we listened to last week's podcast, we said, hey, you know, you know who would be perfect to comment on the green growing edge? It would be Everett Fritz. So we have Everett Fritz from St. Andrew's Missionaries here, and he's also the author of The Art of Forming Young Disciples. And uh, Everett, why don't you say a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you just introduced me. Um, but yeah, I've been working in ministry for 12 years, uh, youth ministry. And uh, as you mentioned, I'm the founder and executive director of St. Andrew Missionaries, which partners with Catholic institutions to uh, adjust the approach of the way that the Catholic institution works with young people to really uh, focus more in on, on discipleship. And uh, I just recently published a, my second book, which is The Art of Forming Young Disciples, Why Youth Ministries Aren't Working and What to Do About It. Um, you know, it's a provocative subtitle. So, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah I love to uh, challenge the status quo of ministry yep. and, and uh, push towards uh, new ideas and new solutions to recurring problems. Yeah, and that's kind of why Chris and I thought you'd be perfect to have on for the follow-up to The Green Growing Edge. Just uh, to recap everybody, the the thought on the green growing edge is it's all about innovation and ministry and how sometimes it can be hard to be on that green growing edge, feeling like you're disconnected to or you're not supported by the trunk, you know, which is the church, which is relatively unmoving um, and needs to be, needs to be sturdy, needs to be stable. And we need to see each each other as bringing the gifts to the table that they do. The The green growing edge needs the stability of the trunk and the trunk needs the green growing edge out there innovating. Now, Everett and I actually have crossed paths before. We were both architects for the Y Disciple program, which is now available on forum.org. Everett continued to work with, uh, with Y Disciple for, for some time. And, uh, that was innovative. That was uh, that was a new idea, a new approach to ministry. It was uh, focused on a process more than a, a product or a program. And and so now we find ourselves in another situation where you're talking about in your book about building disciples. And, uh, and the way that it's done is different than the classroom model. And for some reason, that's innovative and just uh, just just blowing blowing people's minds, or at least blowing the paradigm out of what it was. So why is building disciples so innovative, Everett? Yeah, it shouldn't be, because uh, if you really look at, I mean, building disciples is our our commission. Uh, it's the Great Commission. So it, go, <clears throat> it dates back 2,000 years to Christ. Uh, and even before that, I mean, the, the actual method of discipleship is ancient. Uh, it was the concept of young people being uh, invited by a rabbi to come live with them and to learn by the very example. You know, when we were architects for Y Disciple, I mean, what we were observing is just that, uh, you know, and uh, this is, uh, a lot of this is in my book, The Art of Forming Young Disciples, but what we were observing is that the, the method of ministry that was being utilized by young people wasn't as effective as we thought it could be, and that the most um, influential part of 
of youth ministry or the, the um, part that was most effective or the difference, I would call it the difference between success and failure, was whether a young person could identify um, a living witness in their life, uh, most likely an adult mentor, and whether they had a core group of peers that could support them. So what we were, when we were reinventing the wheel in terms of method of ministry, what we were observing is that the current method of youth ministry didn't efficiently create that dynamic that uh, large youth groups and large um, or classroom model catechesis or whatever the case may be wasn't wasn't developing deep friendships where they were having peers that could support them in their faith and it wasn't modeling it wasn't giving them a living witness it was just uh, giving instruction in the faith um, that they needed to actually be inspired by a person and then actually want to follow their example uh, which is what I mean by living witness. So, and there's out, outliers to this reality, but those outliers had these same traits involved where they were building those those uh, those opportunities for community support and opportunities for living witness. Right. I mean, I think what we were observing is that um, there were in, in, you know, there's more than one method of youth ministry uh, out there. But the common denominator of when that ministry was successful in terms of making a lifelong disciple was whether they had those two factors. And so mm-hmm. what we were trying to reinvent was saying, well, how do we make this happen organically with as many young people as possible? And what we came up with was small group discipleship, which is nothing new in the church. Yeah. Um, I, I've even gone back, a lot of people, um, CCD, which I, I consider the at this point in time the greatest failure in the history of youth formation in the church. But I, and the, there's a reason for that. It, it stands for Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, and it was started after the Council of Trent. So if you're still doing CCD in your parish, you're implementing a model of ministry that is four to 500 years old. It is long past its lifespan in terms of it being effective with the current culture. But actually, if you go back and read what the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine originally was, the CCD originally was, was it was actually supposed to be small Christian communities um, mm-hmm. that were learning their faith, which, I mean, is what we're advocating for when we say small group discipleship. So it's like, well, we're actually just renewing what it was supposed to be. CCD eventually um, was, uh, there was a pope in the 20th century that said every parish needs to implement CCD. And the way that then that was implemented was basically to do classroom catechesis, which is ineffective. Yeah. To yeah, transform and- the, the initial goal from community based to right. classroom based, just because it was easier to mass produce it that way. Right. Well, I mean, it looked more familiar. And uh, the, the challenge with it is it became an outsourcing of the sharing of the faith instead of a community kind of effort a village raising the child yeah, yeah. i would I, I like to say and and i've um i've said this in a variety of presentations that i give but the church operates on a sermon on the mount mentality so um you know we look at christ's sermon on the mount which was his greatest sermon ever arguably uh and it's in the gospel of matthew and um the concept is that uh, we have a message that's important and we want to communicate that message to as many people as possible. So in theory, what you do is you gather together as many people as possible, and then you communicate that message. But nowhere in the Gospel of Matthew does it say that those who heard the Sermon on the Mount became lifelong followers of Christ. And it was his greatest sermon ever. Um, The only reason we know what was in that sermon is because uh, Matthew wrote it down, and Matthew was one of the twelve. Like Christ's greatest and most effective ministry was what he did with those 12. Mm, Yeah. So I want to get back to the whole idea of the green growing edge. Now, would you say that 
after the Council of Trent, CCD was innovative. Sure. So I, I mean, it was it was a, a response to the problems of the culture of that time. I mean, the, yeah. there is, the gospel never changes, but the it, if you look at Saint Paul and what he the way that he preaches the gospel throughout Acts of the Apostles, he constantly changes his method of communicating the gospel depending on what culture he goes to. So yeah. it was actually yeah. a, a, uh, in Acts of the Apostles, back to back chapters where he, I think he goes to the Greeks and then he goes somewhere else and he completely changes his message based on yeah. who he's speaking to. So yeah, methods, absolutely. methods change over time. Um, yeah. And it's about a community. So CCD was innovative for its time. So um, the reason I asked that is one of the things you said before we started the show was about that whole bell curve of, you know, innovators, early adopters, and and whatnot, and I'm I'm curious, you know, to to just toss that out there that we are at the tail end or well past the tail end of that bell curve for CCD, and even with Y Disciple looking at the same curve, um, that's one that you know, as far as innovative and and whatnot we may be towards the middle or towards the end of even that cycle Mm -hmm. um and if you're talking about how like being being able to present the gospel in a model that fits with the culture of the time like our culture changes drastically like and quickly and so like i don't know if you if you had anything to say about that you know why disciple ccd if if any of that rings true or if it if it doesn't make sense at all well, it's interesting. So the, the three guys on the podcast right now, you, you Matt, Chris, um, and myself, we have all worked uh, extensively in youth ministry. And mm-hmm. so we're very familiar with this reality because I would say youth culture turns over every four years. I mean, yes. uh, if not faster, but at least, yeah. I mean, there is, it, what's interesting about youth culture is each generation tries to define itself apart from the previous generation. So uh, method, I feel like, is constantly changing, uh, which is why, um, you know, a little bit of my history, I, I, I built what was largely considered successful youth ministry in uh, a couple of parishes and blew it up, broke it and rebuilt it. And that's the, the short story of a, a long process. But basically because I recognized that, that the youth ministry that I started in 2006 was entirely different than what my teens needed in 2010. Um, yep. So, yeah, there is a need, particularly if you're working with young people, to constantly try to reevaluate what the needs are. Ministry, by definition, is the meeting of people's needs. And that's the mindset that I think a Catholic innovator has to have is to basically constantly be trying to identify what is the need and then come up with solutions for those needs. And as we, uh, as you mentioned, as we were talking beforehand, most people in the church and just in business world and corporate world and whatever the case may be, they follow the suit of the innovators. So they're looking for the, the vast majority of people will just copy what is working effectively. So, but there's a need for innovators to be to be coming up with solutions to problems. I mean, that's how you create new things, and uh, and that's where you know there, there's a need for innovators in the church. Now, to speak to White Disciple, I, I think that we're not at the bell curve. I don't think it's actually grown the legs that I think God desires it to grow. But I also believe that it is something that can only complement. A foundation of a, a small group, disciple group type of model, 
which Everett uh, in St. Andrew missionaries are really seeking to make a reality. So that, that, that would be my next question is in trying to shift a paradigm or kind of transfer out of a certain model into a new one with resources and things like that that exist, there's still a methodology. Like what are the, uh, the roadblocks when you go into a parish and you're coaching, consulting them, what, what are the main roadblocks or the main pieces of resistance that exist when this type of innovation is being brought to the table? It's interesting when I give presentations, uh, I would say four or five years ago, when I give presentations around uh, diocese about like a, a new and innovative, and at this point at the time, I was working for the Augustine Institute and I was presenting on why disciple and it was presenting a new paradigm or a different paradigm than what most youth ministers were um, were familiar with. And the youth ministers were the ones who were most resistant. Um, I would say 60 to 70% of the room was, was really open to it and like identifying with it. And then there was like 30% who were really locked in their ways and uh, didn't want to, didn't want to change what they were doing. And, you know, whenever I go into an organization, I'm not necessarily trying to tell them this is how it's supposed to be done, but I'm trying to help them to evaluate problem and then find solution. Uh, I think all of us who work in ministry realize there's no silver bullet solution. So you have to craft and change things according to the different contexts and different factors. So uh, in any parish or in any Catholic institution that I work with, there's always some sort of different dynamic uh, that is, that is is a problem. You know, um, there's a, a variety of Catholic institutions right now that I think have popped up that are trying to help Catholic institutions uh, like parishes and schools about like problem solve amazing parish is a great example of that uh, they recognize that parish leadership teams can be really dysfunctional and so you know amazing parish exists to help build amazing parishes but 90 percent of what they do is just trying to address the dysfunction on parish leadership teams because sure. that that's a huge problem yes um, you know, what I, what I do with St. Andrew missionaries is I recognize that there are uh, the, I would say the majority of youth ministries and parishes aren't uh, effective or are working inefficiently. Um, And so what I try to do is come in and help them put in a method that is going to be more efficient and work more with their resources. And I adjust according to what those particular needs are. You know, as you guys were talking, one of the things that came to mind was a, a couple of things. You know, one, if if culture turns over, youth culture turns over, I mean, we're speaking specifically to that, you know, every four years, and our youth ministers typically have a lifespan of two to three years, like, is that... Like, is that one way of solving the problem? You know, because you have a new youth minister, they're going to try something new every time they come in, you know, but that's not really good for consistency on the parish's side. Or, you know, on and another thought was, you know, does that mean that if, if I'm someone who's been in ministry for a long time, I plan on being in a long time, that I'm going to have to redo like everything that I do every four years? Because that sounds daunting to me. That sounds like sure. not realistic. There's no way I'm going to do that. Does that do those questions make sense? Or oh yeah, that, I, you know yeah. what's interesting is uh, there's a, a parish out here in, uh, where I live in Denver, Colorado, that was the largest uh, life team parish, one of the largest life team parishes in the country back in the early 2000s, and it was built by Jim Beckman was the the parish. Uh, so St. Francis Cabrini around 2006 or so they, they evaluated and realized, and some of this was Jim left the parish. They got in a new youth minister and that guy just tanked. 
and uh, things started to, he just it wasn't the right fit for the job. Um, but, it, you know, the movements of the Holy Spirit, there, there was, they had a youth ministry team, so they actually have four youth ministry staff on, on, on their parish. And so the associate youth minister took over and she was like, let's just start running a few Bible studies while we figure out how to put this thing back together. And that became the impetus for the development of discipleship groups. And now their whole youth ministry has turned into like they have 30 discipleship groups in their parish. And they became really for us the, the model by which we started the launch of Why Disciple. So talk about innovators. Um, yeah. You, you know, I think that... I, but some of the core structure of their original life team that was started uh, 20 years ago is still there. Like they still do a gigantic youth mass. It's really successful. They still have monthly large group gatherings and, and such. I think that there, there has to be a willingness if you really want to be on the cutting. What's the topic of the show? The green growing green, edge. Green growing edge. If you want to be on the green growing edge, sorry. Um, That's okay. If you want to be on the green growing edge, the, the what, what I try to advocate for is that you have to constantly be evaluating problems and pitching solutions. So the structures and foundations that you put into place for good, healthy ministry, I don't think ever go away. Um, but you try to build and continue to build. And sometimes that to, to build something that's going to be really successful, that means you have to tear down a layer of what you've already built. Uh, but in, in, in theory, you shouldn't wreck the whole thing to the ground. So sure. um, you are right though, the youth ministry turnover every two to three years, it kind of ends up wrecking things to the ground, which isn't healthy for a parish. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think you touched on it with the, uh, the amazing parish kind of notation, the green growing edge requires infrastructure in order to be successful. It has to grow out from something, right? And so if we don't have a good foundation, a good structure, so Matt, to answer your kind of concern, do you have to rebuild everything every four years? The answer would be no. You have to make adjustments. And every now and then you, you let one program fall so a new one can rise up and you meet these new needs. Um, and the, the, the thing that kind of is almost a bummer is that youth culture, while it kind of turns itself over every four years, it's not like on, on the drop of a hat. It's like tick, 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 boom, and then it, it turns itself over. It kind of gradually shifts, gradually shifts, gradually shifts. And if we don't look up, constantly, then we're going to go ahead and look up and say, everything's changed. It's like, no, no, no. It all changed right before you as your ministry should have adjusted right before you as well. And so uh, weathered ministers know that, that it's always going to be a transitional type of ministry to where you're changing, adjusting to meet the needs of those you serve. It yeah, is, and if, it, uh, real quick, it, it is really um, easy when you work in the trenches to put your head down and um, constantly be focused on what's my next event. What's my, I got to pull this off. We have sacrament, you know, sacrament confirmation coming up this week or first Holy communion that I'm responsible for, or whatever the case may be. Um, I got to build relationships here. I got this event. And, and you, you don't take a step back. If you don't take a step back and look at the larger picture of uh, is your youth, you know, your ministry in general effective and, and you don't do that periodically, you just end up driving the thing into the ground. And yeah. like ministers in general, uh, lay ministers, priests, et cetera, it, it, you can get stuck in the grind and never take those steps back. And those steps are really important. Yeah. And I mean, if you're listening to this, our hope is you're a ministry leader, whether you're the pastor, the DRE, the youth minister, you're, you're a leader in ministry. And it's our job as leaders to have our heads up and knowing where we're going and not looking down and, and focused on just today. You know, we need right. to look at where, at where we're going. Um, and looking at what's going on around us so that we can lead people somewhere, you know, 
Right. I'm in a parish right now. I'm, I currently work at a parish, uh, Notre Dame in Denver. I've been here about eight months. It's a long story how I ended up back in a parish. Uh, I got talked into it. Um, but uh, <laughs> I took over for a guy who had been in, in youth ministry for 20 years. We completely redefined the job description. And, I, and uh, the, the ministry that he did fell apart because it was all built around him. So I inherited very little. Um, and But my approach is very different than his. He did the majority of the relational ministry for his for his youth ministry, which is one of the reasons why it fell apart is because he everything was built around his relationships with the young people. And one of the first things parents observed when I came in and took over is that I wasn't actively working to build relationships with the young people. And somebody said, they said, oh, you're a director you're not a youth minister. And I was like, yes, I'm a direct, like I, I've been in the trenches long enough to know that I can't do it all. So, I mean, there is a, a need for ministry leaders, particularly if you're a ministry leader who's in a position of directing, whether you're directing volunteers or recruiting volunteers or directing staff, um, you have to, you have to keep your head up and stay high level so that you can direct the vision of where things are going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the, the other thoughts I had on this with regards to how busy we are and what a, what a youth minister or a ministry leader should focus on, the, if, if you go into ministry and you're thinking it's going to be easy or all I have to do is get this life night print out and just execute that print out every week and, and ministry is going to go well, um, I, I would I would really highly recommend that you consider a different career or that you at least, you know, like think, OK, wait, there's going to be more work than that. Um, and if you get to the point in your in your ministry that you're tired, you know, and you're like, I can't start one more thing. Um, maybe you're not doing enough self-care. You know, maybe you're not, you know, focusing on yourself enough because we have to be innovating in ministry all the time. We're going to now go to my favorite segment because I've been holding it in the whole time. This segment is called Chris Needs to Cough. So pardon me for just a moment. Talk about the need for self-care, man. You need to take, take oh, better man. care of yourself okay. so you're not getting sick. I've been, uh, wow. <laughs> so uh, Kyle is going to auto-tune that um, to A-Lob's newest album. And, uh, and now we're back. So, uh, so your response to <laughs> if you remember his question any longer. Yeah, uh, well, I think... Early on, so I'm 33 now, almost 34 years old, been working in ministry for 12, 13 years. Uh, when I was in my my 20s and didn't have kids or like had a new new baby or what, I mean, I just drove myself into the ground ministry wise and put my head down. And I mean, that's what I'm talking about when I say I just put my head down and did what needed to be do, done uh, in my parish or whatever the case would be. I don't do that anymore. I I clock out. I don't think about ministry at home. Um, at all. I have a regular prayer life. <laughs> and I mean, at some point during the time that I stopped, was working for the church, I completely lost my prayer life, which is yep. ridiculously unhealthy and something yep. that a lot of us are guilty of. So uh, I have friends outside of church. I mean, there, there's a, um, a, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm sustaining ministry now. So yeah, if you feel burnt out, um, one, it might be because you have too many responsibilities in your position, which is something that are is a reality. If you're a pastor, you have too many responsibilities in your church, in your parish. Um, if you're a um, working in, in parish ministry, full-time, part-time, even as a volunteer, it could be that your pastor has given you too many responsibilities. And you may need to advocate for, hey, I need to do less. 
so there is, and this is one of the reasons too, why I go into Catholic institutions and try to help them be more efficient because I feel like there's, there's, uh, in parishes or Catholic schools or whatever the case may be, a lot of ministry is done. And that is, it's like, why are you doing that? That is taking way too much time and it's not, um, directed towards the goal of making disciples of Jesus Christ. So, you know, all the more reason to take step backs and, and start to say, we need to find solutions to problems. Yeah, you're you're responding to something that I like as I, I, as I think back to what I asked you, you know, or what I said that every every youth minister needs to be an innovator. Is that true? Like yeah. I don't I don't think that's true. And and so I said that, and I, I'm taking it back. I absolutely disagree. Uh, Chris, what were you going to say? Yeah, so I think that it's important to recognize that God is the one who needs to be the source of our innovation. He's the one that is the first mover. And so if you don't have that gift and talent, just like Moses couldn't talk too good, right? So then along comes Aaron, right? And so there is going to be the situation to where if you are the main ministry leader in charge of youth ministry or whatever it is, and innovation needs to come about, God will put someone in your path or someone on your team that's going to help that innovation uh, take place. Because I know some people are like, oh, I can't sing, so but our program needs a musician, well, that means that God's going to bring a musician to your program, right? If he desires it so. And, uh, and so we can't put all that, that weight on our shoulders. I think it's important that the burden of innovation actually lies on God. And that's why we have to, like Everett said, have this uh, dedicated prayer life because he's in a place right now at the parish where he's a director and he's leading others to be the innovators in the lives of those teens. Is that a fair way to put it, Everett? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. I would say that every... I wouldn't say everybody needs to be an innovator, but it is helpful for everybody to take a step back and be a problem solver. Um, I was uh, given a retreat at a parish in Florida and the retreat was really successful and young people were coming out on fire and the uh, parents who uh, attended the chaperones approached me. They said, we need to keep this fire going. Um, We want to start a youth mass at our parish. And like, I'm like leaving to go to the airport from the retreat anyway. um, So they, they said, and I knew the pastor, I knew the pastor was burnt out. I knew he was never going to add another Sunday mass. Um, I knew that they didn't have the resources to pull off. uh, The discussion around youth mass is a whole bigger discussion, but, um, but I'm a fan of, of uh, liturgy that's directed towards meeting the needs of young people. I think you can craft your homily towards young people, whatever the case may be. And they were like, how do we pitch to our pastor a Sunday night youth mass? And I said, don't. Uh, don't, don't do it. I said, I said, but look, you're trying to address the needs. Here's what I would pitch. You've got a handful of young people coming off this retreat. Go to your pastor and say, father, come to our house on Wednesday once a month and celebrate mass in our house. And we're going to invite the young people from this retreat to come to a house mass. And then after mass, we'll have ice cream in the kitchen. And I'm like, you don't have to pull off all the different like intricacies of pulling off a Sunday liturgy every week, but it actually yep. accomplishes meeting the need that they were trying to address. Yeah. And they pitched this to the pastor and he loved the idea. I'm, you know, you have 20 people that show up at a Sunday mass. It's a failure. Like in terms yeah. of trying to launch a new liturgy, you have 20 people that show up in the living room for a house mass and house masses are great ideas, by the way. Um, it, it, you know, it's a huge success. And then yeah. you have ice cream, they get to know their pastor and it becomes more personal, blah, blah, blah. Ice cream. Yeah. Ice cream is a great idea, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it was simple. He showed up, he celebrated a simple mass in the living room and they accomplished every single one of their goals that they were trying to accomplish by putting in a Sunday liturgy mass without putting in a ton of work. 
Well, and that's a relatively simple way that you innovated, right. you know, there, you know, and, and we're the green growing edge, you know, going out, trying something new in a way. Right. Chris, problem, what were you going to say? Or, yeah. yeah. So uh, before we go ahead and wrap up, we want to give Everett one last chance for final thoughts. But I wanted to also let you have a moment to talk about your new book by Sophia Institute Press. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, it's uh, again, the title of the book is The Art of Forming Young Disciples, Why Youth Ministries Aren't Working and What to Do About It. Uh, and, I, and I should say, I don't believe that youth ministries aren't working, but I believe that, uh, the, that there's a need for innovation. Uh, and so a, a large portion of the book uh, is directed towards identifying the current layers of problems that we face in trying to form young disciples in our culture, in our parishes, and in our schools. Um, and what those layers of problems are. And then towards the latter half of the book, I uh, direct them to uh, a solution, not the solution, because I think that there can be a variety of, of solutions. But there's a need whenever we're talking around uh, problem solving to have a common language. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I develop a common language throughout the book in terms of what's not working with young people so that uh, we can work together to come up with solutions. And it's, it's a short read. It's an easy read. Um, and it's, uh, again, by Sophia Institute Press, The Art of Forming Young Disciples. How do people right. find you? Uh, St. org uh, is my website. Um, I also have a website, everettfritz.com. Um, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Wonderful. Excellent. Anything else you want to say to our ministry leaders that are listening? Uh, hang in there. <laughs> hang in there and pray, because ultimately yeah. innovation comes from the Holy Spirit. So, uh, so hang in there and pray and develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. All right, you guys, y'all can find us on Facebook. Just search MLA Podcast. Twitter, the same thing. We're on Stitcher, Google Play, and MLAPodcast.com. And uh, please write us a review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. And Yelp, right? Isn't that the place? Um, Share with other ministry leaders and subscribe to the podcast. You can uh, also become a Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash MLAPodcast. Here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, you go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. So take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders. Special thanks to Everett for joining us, our first official guest. We will see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Yeah, you bet. God bless. God bless.